The Israelites thought that there was no way, not a chance in hell, that their lives could be worse than they were in slavery in the land of Egypt. But, faced with utter deprivation, their most basic and essential needs coming under threat, their mouths becoming parched, and their... Excuse me. Like this. And their stomachs growling. As their children cried out in hunger pains, they began to wonder. They began to wonder if this was hell. This is part of our story as people of faith. Part of our story is the frustration, the confusion, the doubt, and that feeling of betrayal that the Israelites felt in the desert. And part of our story is that we also come from a long line of people, and we have faith in a God that makes a way out of no way. And that there is beauty and that there is grace in that within each of our lives. And that in this story, there's also a message about God's kingdom. That everyone can harvest and have enough. And maybe if we listen to this story of faith, We can be changed by this story. We can stop dividing and start uniting. Because then, and maybe only then, will we have a chance in hell. The story is from Exodus 16, 1 through 18. The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elam. And Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord, in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from the heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way, I will test them whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what we are that you complain against us. And Moses said, when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and your fill of bread in the morning, 
because the Lord has heard the complaining that you utter against him. What are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked toward the wilderness and the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as you need, an omer to a person according to the number of persons, all providing for those in their own tents. The Israelites did so, some gathering more, some gathering less. But when they measured it with an omer, those who gathered much had nothing left over and those who gathered little had no shortage. They gathered as much as each of them needed. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Amen. You know, I think I just had a modern day miracle in the face of Ted Harmon. You're thirsty and parched and God provides. So thank you, Ted. Um, would you please pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorified in your sight. For you, O oh God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I've hitchhiked only once. And it's not something I recommend for all you young people out there. Will Sackett, do not do this. <laughs> See, I was even nervous when I went out doing it because I watched a lot of true crime when I was in high school. And so I was a little paranoid about the risk. But the year after I graduated from college, one of my really good friends was through hiking the Appalachian Trail. He started in March down in Georgia and was making his way up the over 2,000 miles to a mountain in Maine. And as he was working his way through western Connecticut and Massachusetts, he wasn't too far from where I was living, and I felt like I couldn't pass up the potential to be part of this grand adventure that he was on. So I found myself one Saturday morning parking my car in an old Kmart lot where I met up with my friend as he resupplied, and we headed out. There was a motley crew on the trail, See, when hiking the Appalachian Trail, most people are given a new name by the people that they hike with. 
My friend had become Birdman, having studied birds in college. There was Texas Pete and his mama who were hiking as a way to work through their grief after losing their husband and father. There was Sunshine who was hiking after having served two tours in Iraq as a way to process his experience. And there was a young couple who had started down in Georgia, engaged to other people, and by the time they had made it to Connecticut, found themselves engaged to each other. <laughs> God works in mysterious ways. <laughs> but as they hiked, they told stories. They told stories of being out of water and stumbling across some trail magic, or coolers left by do-gooders, filled with things that they might need, or treats to encourage them along the way, and sometimes necessities that they needed to survive. These modern-day miracles. Now, my trip on the trail was relatively short, but once off, I didn't realize how far I had gone from my car, and I needed to find my way back. My feet were sore, and I wanted to walk as little as possible, so I stuck out my thumb and stood by the side of the road. And cars passed me, one after the next after the next. I couldn't help but wondering if they'd watched the same true crime episodes that I had watched. <laughs> and I began to give up hope. And I started to walk myself, keeping my thumb out just in case. And my night on faithful steed was replaced with an old man in a new, huge, glistening Mercedes-Benz. He asked me where I was headed, and he offered me a ride. I got in, a little nervous. He chatted about the weather and about his love of hiking and the outdoors. But the car began to slow down before we reached that Kmart parking lot. I need to get something the man said as we pulled into a gas station. This is where I die, <laughs> I began to think, where some previously wonderful older gentleman becomes some famed serial killer. <laughs> he puts the car in park, and he asks if I want anything. I tell him I'm fine, and he leaves the car running as he goes inside the convenience store. And I'm struck. He leaves this very nice car, key in the ignition, with a total stranger who hasn't showered for days and looks a little rough. He trusted me. He was only gone a moment, coming back with two Gatorades and peanut M&Ms, just in case, he says, handing one to me and tearing open the bag. See, we live in a world of projected outcomes of cost-benefit analysis and of calculated risk, where we measure outcome potential and optimize returns. But our lives hold so much that is unimaginable. Our lives hold things that cannot be calculated or projected. This past week, I spent four days at an intensive course at Kellogg Business School, on strategic planning and leadership within congregational life, all the things that they don't teach you in divinity school or seminary. <laughs> and it was amazing, and it was inspirational, and I have to confess to you a little bit of my own bias. I knew I would learn valuable information, 
And I knew that all of you business people within this congregation were wonderfully faithful and moral and value-driven. But I have to admit, I was a little skeptical about all those business people out there in the world. And I was surprised by the amount of faith and the level of commitment that I saw within that place. And it gave me hope. But I didn't take everything whole hog. One day we had a lecture with former uh, CEO of Baxter International, Harry Kramer, which I learned that Baxter is a medical um, company. Didn't know that until <laughs> recently. But, uh, he, and he spoke to us about the importance of value-based leadership. And one thing that Harry shared is that as a good leader, you are never supposed to be surprised. That as effective leaders, we should be self-reflective enough that the surprises of this life fade. And now, as an avid contingency planner who, when I go on vacation, I have like a sunny potential activities list, a rainy potential activities list, and even if we're going to Florida, I have a snowy potential activities list. <laughs> I understand Harry's point and the value of taking time to take notice and stock and reflect, but honestly, Sometimes life is surprising. Sometimes, like the Israelites in the desert, we're caught off guard by, the tra by tragedies that are worse than we could ever imagine, or that we could not even think possible. Maybe a loved one gets sick too soon, or parents cradle their little child. Relationships can disintegrate and jobs can evaporate. The world which we imagined might not be what it thought. As men march in streets with tiki torches and women and girls cry out, me too, the ugliness and pain of life surprises us. And we, like the Israelites, feel lost in the desert. We know that this is not the promised land, that lions are not lying down with lambs. We cannot find milk and honey, let alone food for all who hunger. Swords and guns have not been turned into tools for peace, but turned towards neighbor. And we find ourselves hungering, starving for lives that matter. We long for deep connection and belonging. We thirst for meaning and purpose. And we long for security, to avoid the deserts of our lives altogether. Sometimes we wish that we could just pass go and collect $200 and keep on trucking. And while that might seem or feel comfortable, it's not true, and it's not honest, and it's not life. And with all due respect to Harry Kramer, there is no amount of reflection that can alleviate us from these surprises. We are surprised and our hearts are broken open in pain that we cannot imagine. But ours is also a God that makes a way when all seems impossible. Ours is a God that makes a way out of no way. And our hearts are also broken open in awe and wonder. And in the deserts of our lives, we cry out to God, and manna falls.
falls from heaven. And there is enough. There is enough for everyone. And we find out that we too are enough. Thinking about this story, the Israelites cried out to God and God provided for them. But God did not provide an assessment of all their needs. The scripture does not read like this. And a scroll containing a topographical map of the desert descended from heaven with a big X and a U R here. God did also not provide a, based on a grocery list provided from the Israelites where everyone got their favorite comfort food. No, it was a simple substance like dew. And it was birds from the bush. And it was simple, but it was enough. It was what was needed and what was provided. And together, not just one or two, but all the people went out to harvest. And they were surprised by God's abundance. This past week, a good friend of mine gave birth to an incredibly beautiful, miraculous little baby girl. And she was in labor a long time. And it was hard, and it was exhausting, and it hurt like hell. But after all those hours of pain and of pushing, and all those months of waiting and of dreaming, baby Esther was brought into this world. The story of Esther in the Bible is the story of a strong woman who is challenged to make the world a better place with these words. Where she is told, you were born for such a day as this. Maybe in this broken world, we think of abundance wrong. We think of me over you, of me before you, of me first, of America first. But what if we thought about me and you? What if we thought about us together? Where we all take and where everyone has enough. And it's not going to be easy, but something new is being born and we have to breathe and we have to push. And maybe together we get to be part of this radical kingdom. And we'll be surprised by the abundance that we find there. And maybe like little Esther, we were born for such a day as this. And then, and maybe only then, together, we will have a chance in hell. Amen.